He's involved in a number of businesses. He's a great role model. Telling it like it is. Giving you both sides of the story. This is Cats at Night. Great American, a great New Yorker. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is the John Katsimatidis Cats at Night show. This is John Katsimatidis. You're right, Lydia. You see, we're running late today, and uh, uh, this is the number one show at 5 o'clock. This is a, a TriCast broadcasting on the WABC 77 Studios, and we're also on <coughs> AM 970 The Answer and WLIR, and we have an ecumenical uh, studio today. We have a Common Sense Democrat. We have Richard Weinberg. Two common sense Republicans, well, maybe one and a half. Uh, and uh, we have uh, a de- former deputy mayor, uh, Rudy uh, Washington, might be related, might be related <laughs> to George Washington, but he's in the darker side of the family. Uh, and uh, we have uh, Chief, Chief, uh, uh, we call you Chief. How are you, Tony John? Carbonetti? I can't hear anything. I not- can't hear anything either. No. I-, I can hear. Uh oh. Yeah, it's all you. Uh-oh. And my your sidekick, Lydia Serrani. Lydia, did you have a good day? We ha- I had a busy day, but we have a fantastic show. We are going to have Gordon Chang, and of course, he'll be talking about <laughs> China. We will have a General Jack Keane, the latest on Ukraine. Congressman Tom Swazi, who is running for New York governor. Jonathan Lipman, but first on the line, we have Michael Goodwin. He's a Pulitzer Prize winning writer for the New York Post and just an all-around great guy with common sense. Hello, Michael Goodwin. We love your latest column. Leftist anti-police policies have led to a startling number of black and Latino crime victims. Oh, thank you, Lydia. And hello to everybody in the studio. Uh, yes, this is uh, it's just look, I think for those of us who were in New York during the, both the horrible days, the good days and now the sliding backwards days. Uh, this is not a secret. But what happened here was that. Uh, mm-hmm. Fox News reporters were able to get out of the FBI statistics exactly how many black additional murders there were in 2020 compared to the previous decade. So there was an an average over the 10 years, and they found that the 2020 totals exceeded that average by 43 percent. And when you do the math, it works out to a little over 3,000 additional murders of black Americans in 2020 over what one might have expected had the average simply been maintained. And those of us in New York, we saw the same thing. There were a couple of hundred additional murders, I think 140 one year, 150 another in 2020 and 2021 over what had been the total in 2019, just by way of comparison. So New York was a slice of those numbers. Most of those murdered in New York uh, every year are non-white. And so New York was part of this pattern that was a national pattern, and it really showed that the progressive policies of trying to defund the police, the politics of people like Bill de Blasio handcuffing the police, the prosecutors not wanting to prosecute, uh, letting people out of jail, out of prisons, all of that has come home to roost, and guess what? The real victims are the very people the progressives said they were trying to help. The non-whites suffered more crime and more murders uh, because of these policies. 
We've been talking about this over and over. John Katzmatidis, this has kind of been your rally cry about. Well, we, we, we've been saying that. Yes, You're right. And, yes. and the police commissioner, right on a five o'clock show, she said to us, there's a, and, and, and along with uh, the chief of uh, detectives, uh, detectives uh, Essex, Essex. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are 3,000 violent criminals in this city. If those 3,000 violent criminals were not on the streets in New York, and they commit over 90, 95% of the crimes, if they were at Rikers Island, New York City would be safe again. But nobody wants to do anything about it. These, these senators in Albany and these assembly people in Albany, well, they have police protection. Who knows what they have, but they don't want to do anything about it. Yeah, Judge pro- Weinberg? Uh, Michael, it's Richard Weinberg. I have, to, I have to tell you, they keep saying... Both Hasty and Stuart Cousins, the leaders of the legislature, keep saying, show us the data, show us the data, show us the data. The data is right before their eyes. Dead bodies. It's bodies. It's there. It's there. Just read the articles in the papers day after day. See what's reported on the news, radio and television. The statistics are there. When are they going to act to do something? Well, Well, let's ask Deputy Mayor uh, Rudy Washington. In the black community, you're black. In the black community, what are they saying? Well, I don't know anybody who thinks this is a good idea, Um, this uh, bail bill. Um, You know, as I was talking to Tony, my, my colleague, old colleague, you know, I think there's something else afoot here. I, I believe that the closing of Rikers Island and the no bail are, are linked together. Um, basically, if you don't put anybody in jail, you don't need Rikers. Then you get to close Rikers, and then we begin to see what the real play is. I think I'm beginning to smell corruption. You can't be this stupid. You know, really, mm. I, I hate to use that word, but you can't. Uh, if you don't. Mm. lock up and incarcerate violent people, guess what's going to happen? Yeah, You're going to have crime. Well, what, you know, Michael, what do you think? I, I think the connection to Rikers is, is a real one. I think it's a good point that uh, Rudy is making, that one of the arguments, I mean, de Blasio, even before the pandemic, was trying to empty Rikers, I think, to make his five community jails more appealing. He was trying to win the argument by emptying Rikers and saying, we don't need this big monstrosity. It's so expensive. It would cost us gazillions of dollars to renovate it. Let's let's start from scratch with nice little local jails where people can have nice scenery and sort of not be separated from the and community. And wanted to spend $9 billion. Well, that was just the starting price tag, right? Mm. This is government work. Uh, nine <laughs> would be cheap by the time it got finished. But look, I, I, I think that there is a a progressive mentality that thinks and that argues, and it's largely whites that that argue that that the black community is oppressed by the police. And they look at the black community and they say, you must hate the police as much as more than I do. Let's work together and let's get the police out of your neighborhoods. And let's let's let everybody in prison free because it's all just a misunderstanding. It's it's the root causes argument. Uh, You know, they, they they were white supremacy throughout our society. Therefore, how can we possibly 
hold young men, especially uh, in prison for arresting or violence. It's not their fault. Uh, I think I think this was the progressive movement writ large. And, you know, you see that these policies have hurt the very people they promised to help. But again, those of us who saw how New York changed, how how the prison population in New York declined during the 20 years of, of uh, Giuliani and Bloomberg because fewer people were committing crimes. And so, therefore, they didn't go to prison. So that was a, a really a side benefit from the saving of lives. You know, people didn't commit crimes because maybe they were afraid to carry their guns. They would get caught with the guns, and so they didn't carry the guns. Therefore, they didn't use the guns. Therefore, they didn't commit a crime. They didn't go to prison. The prison population fell. All of that is being undone. The, now it's like even if you commit the crime, we want to keep you out of prison. So, I mean, it's insane what the progressives did. A former chief of staff to Rudy Giuliani, uh, Tony Carbonetti, chief. It, what Michael just said is 100 percent true. Uh, he, you have to get back to most shootings in New York City take place because a situation arises gets out of control, someone happens to have their gun on them because there is no fear of carrying an illegal handgun anymore. You used to go to jail for it. Mm-hmm. There was a 94% chance you went to jail if you had an, were caught with an illegal handgun. It's now less than 10%, John. Is that where we are? Right. Right? It's mm-hmm, less than 10. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Listen, the, all I want to know is this lady was arguing th- with me uh, about two people got stuck in Rikers Island I said, stuck in Rikers Island. Meanwhile, 25 young kids, mm-hmm. you know, five years old. Kids are shooting each kids, other. Kids are dead. Wait, how do you recover from dead? You don't. Their kids are shooting each other because they're not afraid to take their gun out anymore. Because if an officer used to find you with a gun, Michael, you remember it. A year in jail, period. And that's laid at the feet, uh, ladies and gentlemen. The district attorneys. At, no, no. It's yeah. laid at, no, yeah. it's laid at the feet of the de Blasio administration withdrawing the appeal on that case against the NYPD in the city of New York on stop, inquire, and frisk. They could have won that case on appeal and still had the anti-crime units doing stop, inquire, and frisk. The recipe's there. Michael, you saw it work. Michael Goodwin, and then the recent example of LeVon Davis, the 32-year-old man who has 27 arrests under his belt. He was just sentenced to three years, and his sentence was commuted basically to nothing, and he was released on, what was it, monitoring? And then he went up on the Upper East Side, and he viciously attacked five people. One person, 65 years old, he's still in the hospital with serious head injuries. And it's it's a complicated issue. I think it's not just about the bail reform. It's not just about gun violence. It's about this whole kind of lax attitude we have towards crime in general. And the answer is not simply allowing people to just roam on the streets or live on the streets if you're homeless. You know, and and there's another, of course, not all these crimes are necessarily violent in order for them to be destructive. I mean, look at the right aids that have closed because of this shoplifting that's out of control. Again, the. DA doesn't want to prosecute, so the police don't make the arrest. 
because it's a waste of time for the cops. Why do they want to deal with the hassle? It takes them more time to fill out the paperwork than it does for the uh, the purpose back on the street. Uh, so it, there's a kind of trickle-down mentality here that nobody wants to take any kind of crime seriously. Nobody in the Democratic Party, nobody, none of the five uh, county prosecutors in the city, and, of course, the police then are left holding the bag. They, You know, uh, the new commissioner, I thought, made a very interesting argument when Alvin Bragg first put out his day one memo that he was going to not prosecute this, going to knock this down, not prosecute that. And she 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 did her own memo and she said, you know, uh, Mr. Bragg, the very things you're telling people you won't prosecute are some of the things that people, the citizens of New York call the police about the most. And so you're you're putting the police in an impossible situation. You're not going to prosecute it. And yet the public wants us to do something about it. And I think that's the kind of thing that no one uh, foresaw. Again, why they didn't foresee this is is just sort of incredible because it's so obvious that you if you start to undo this uh, this quality of life enforcement, the serious penalties enforcement. If you start to undo this thing without thinking through the whole system, you are going to get more crime. And that's what they got. They got more crime. Think of that. Think of policies that led to crime. I mean, that's almost unbelievably stupid. And yet it happened and it's still happening before our eyes. Well, so much crime. People are moving out of New York. So much crime. It's hurting our businesses. It's hurting all the drugstores. It's hurting people are not coming back from Florida. They're making New York a mess. And if Michael, you know, we only got a minute left. But if if we don't clean this up, if we don't clean clean up crime in the subways and in the streets, that this by this November, New York is in deep doo doo. Do you agree? I do, and and we should add that there's one further complicating fact, and that is that the COVID, the pandemic, uh, showed a lot of people they don't need to be in New York. Um, And I think that the remote work habit, uh, most people are not coming back to the office, or many people are not coming back to offices full time. And so this is another reason why you can leave New York and not necessarily lose your job. I mean, that's another impediment to the city's recovery. Yeah, but as corporations get tougher, I I would not allow that in my company. As corporations get tougher, it's going to roll back a little bit. I hope so, but but I think in the meantime, it's another weakness in the city that uh, is going to make a comeback harder. Michael Goodman, thank you so much for uh, everything you do for our city, our country. God bless you, and we'll catch up with you again soon. Thank you all. Thank you, Michael. Now uh, we have uh, Gordon Chang uh, and his Twitter, at Gordon G. Chang. Keep track of of him with some uh, new revelations. What the heck is going on in the Pacific What's going on with China? I mean, we got a big mess. We have a big mess in uh, in the Ukraine and and that, but we the Pacific is not treating us so well either. Gordon Chang, tell us what the heck is going on. Well, today, uh, Prime Minister Sagavare of the Solomon Islands announced that China and the Solomon Islands signed a security pact. And some people believe that this means that China will have a naval base in the Solomons 
in a very short period of time. The reason why this is important is because it gives China a foothold in a critical part of the world. It's a part of the world that uh, the United States has ignored for decades. And China could end up with military bases very close to Hawaii and the United States. Well, the Philippines are next. Well, the Philippines are next. But uh, China has its eyes, for instance, on Kiribati, which is directly south of Hawaii. It's about 1,900 miles away. And in Pacific Island terms, it's a hop, skip, and a jump. It's a neighbor. And Kiribati's airport uh, runway would threaten uh, the state of Hawaii. Uh, So that's much closer than the Philippines. China has grand ambitions here. And the big story is not that the Chinese have those ambitions or are malicious. What the big story is, the United States has allowed China to come into the Pacific, into what we consider a critical zone. And we have done very little over the decades to uh, protect our interests there. This is a problem with America more than it's a problem with China. I agree a thousand percent, because according to today's rules, we should just go invade the Solomon Islands, right? Because we're a nuclear country. We can go do whatever we want, and the rest of the world will sit back, like what's happening in the Ukraine. Because yeah, Putin uh, felt threatened. Th- th- those... I'm sorry, go ahead. Putin yeah, felt sorry, threatened, so therefore he out. went out and invaded. So why can't we do that? Mm. Sure. I mean, those are the new rules. Um, the United States, though, has a lot of friends in the Solomon Islands. Sagavre, the prime minister, has been bought by China, and I mean that literally. Um, there is a real problem in the Solomons right now because the central government, headed by Sagavre, um, has been ignoring um, the most important islands in the country. And uh, those other outlying islands, which are actually more populous than the center, um, are very pro-America, very pro-Taiwan, and don't want disagreement with China. So there's an internal problem in the Solomons, and there could very well be civil war there over this and other items. It matters. Gordon, it's, uh, it's Richard Weinberg. What would you suggest that uh, the United States now do to try to counter this? Well, um, fortunately, the Biden administration has um, announced it will reopen our embassy in the Solomons. We closed it in the 1990s. This was our mistake, Um, but it takes a long time to reopen the embassy. And the other thing that we have to do is we have to stop delegating to Australia and New Zealand um, basically responsibility for that part of the Pacific. We've done that for decades. Um, Both Canberra, uh, especially Canberra, has completely messed this up. And because of our general agreement with Australia, we haven't done anything to protect our position. I think that we need to tell the the Australians that we want to work with you in the Pacific, but we're not going to let you take the lead in certain regions because you have really, really messed it up. Gordon, uh, what I've been told by certain intelligence officials uh, and uh, that uh, when these prime ministers glom money, whether they're glomming from the Russians or glomming from the Chinese. It's an old Brooklyn word, huh, Rudy? It's a glomming. Mm-hmm. Uh, they buy Bitcoin. Means to they, grab. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they buy Bitcoins because it's harder to trace. Mm-hmm. And if if you see the price of Bitcoins going up, you know what that means? More glomming. More glomming. Mm-hmm. Some more prime ministers bought more Bitcoins. That's really interesting. You know, in in Solomon's, though, we don't need uh, Bitcoin. Um, What we have is actually a list. 
that was revealed uh, three or four months ago of Solomon Island politicians who were effectively bought by China, and they have the actual amounts. Um, it's, it was just unbelievable. Um, so basically, Beijing has been just um, throwing money into these guys' hands, whether it's Bitcoin or just cold cash. So that's how this situation ended up. You know, Mr. Chang, um, they're not just doing this in the Solomon Islands. They've been doing this in Africa. They've been doing it in South America. And the question is, what is it that we should be doing? Um, we've set back. We've we've turned all our manufacturing over to them, made them an industrial powerhouse under NAFTA. And I remember when that was signed in 94, 95, I was commissioner of business services, and I did not, I couldn't comprehend why we were doing this, uh, you know, moving jobs to China. Uh, and then it was exposed during COVID when they threatened not to give us antibiotics. And I was surprised that we get all of our medication from them. Not to give us antibodies, not to give us antibiotics, because they do like 90% of our antibiotics. Yeah, yeah. And what have we done? I thought we would have set up our own Marshall Plan to bring our manufacturing back to America that's that's the quickest thing to do to weaken them financially. And Gordon Chang, to piggyback off of you, when did China start becoming a powerhouse? This is this this didn't happen overnight. This didn't happen under Trump. It didn't happen under Biden. When did it really start? Because we created this monster, in I my opinion. At, NAFTA. NAFTA. Yeah. You. But whose administration? Because that was Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton. 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 This was a bipartisan. We, we opened our arms to them. We never showed them the back of our hand. Oh, I want to see. What China you... only saw open arms from us. Absolutely. We created this monster. Yep. We have only ourselves yep. to blame. What do you think, Gordon Chang? Yeah, we certainly created this monster. Um, there are a lot of presidents who are culpable, but the one who is most culpable would be Bill Clinton, yeah. because okay. in 1999, he came to an agreement with China, which paved their way into uh, the World Trade Organization, which they jo- joined in December uh 2001. That's when they got into the world's trading system. They um, got the benefits of their deal, but they did not honor their promises. So they were able to trade their way up, uh, able to get a lot in terms of um, money um, from commerce. And that's really, I think, the where you see the turning point. So it would be that 1999 agreement that Bill Clinton signed. That it, Clinton also decoupled human rights from trade. And that gave uh, China basically the ability to do what it wants because we gave up our most important leverage over Beijing. And there are now moves in Congress to try to relink trade and human rights. And I believe that those are things that we should be doing. I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much, Gordon G. Chang, for all of your insight and wisdom, especially when it comes to China and so many other world issues that matter to Americans. Thank you so much, sir. God bless you. uh, Well, thank you. And we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to come back with General Keene. And, uh, well, we found out about the Pacific. We found out about uh, China. Now we're going to find out about what the heck is going on in Russia, Ukraine. Because it's uh, we got to find out. we got to know what's going on. Let's take that break. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katsimatidis and Cats at Night on 77 WABC. This is John Katsimatidis. It's Cats at Night and the number one show at 5 o'clock. And uh, with us uh, today is uh, General Jack Keane and one smart individual. And he ran 
he ran our country and ran our uh, troops for a while. General, how are you today? Oh, I'm doing great, John, and I hope you are as well. I am. Uh, I just got off the phone with Gordon Chang. I want to take two aspirins, and uh, <laughs> I'll tell you what's going on in the Pacific. Uh, today, the, the China signed an agreement with the Solomon Islands to provide security for the Solomon Islands. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm aware of it. The Chinese continue to march forward. That's for sure. They're they're pursuing their own national interests at the expense of the United States and our allies. Crazy. We got to stand up to it. Crazy. Uh, fill in the American people are waiting to hear your voice to fill them in on what the heck is going on with Russia and uh, and with the Ukraine. I mean, nobody knows what the, the what the truth is anymore. What's going on? Okay, so obviously Russia has has entered a, a different phase of the operation, having. Having failed in phase one to take uh, the capital city and topple the government and the other major cities, they have reverted to a, a much smaller operation, less complicated, and certainly less ambitious. And that is to secure the, the Donbass area in southeastern Ukraine. This is an area, so our audience understands, that they have had a presence in since 2014, contested by the Ukrainians, and it's stalemated, where they designated two breakaway republics, uh, Donetsk and Luhansk. The Donbass region itself is much larger than that, about two-thirds larger than uh, than those two breakaway republics. And that is what the Russians are trying to take control of now, as well as uh, seizing Mariupol, which is likely to happen. Now, this operation, um, for them, gives them some advantages because they're only conducted one operation as opposed to four, which is what they were doing at the beginning of the invasion. So that's what I meant by less ambitious and less complicated. They can consolidate their forces here. Their supply lines they're much closer to because Russia is close by. And also, they have some familiarity with the area because they their units in the Southern Military District have been ocup- uh, operating there for the last eight years. On paper, they look stronger than the Ukrainians by about two to one in terms of people and and uh, combat equipment. But on the ground, they're displaying some of the same performance problems, uh, John, that they had in the North. It's uh, crazy. Morale, it's crazy. Logistics operations. Um, not good tactical proficiency, not very good. They made some progress, but not a lot. What they're doing is uh, a very heavy aerial and artillery bombardment throughout the Donbass sector. And then they conducted some very small scale ground operations the last two days uh, with some very limited success. Uh, nothing compared to what would needed to be to eject the Ukrainians. And uh, that's about where we are. General, uh, this is Rudy Washington. It appears to me they seem to be hands off on Odessa uh, and really closing off the loop to the Black Sea and landlocking uh, Ukraine. Uh, what, what do they want to do? They want to try to take that intact? Yeah, they tried to take Odessa, John, a few weeks ago, early on. It was a major objective of theirs 
they came at it from the land, which and they wanted to surround the city, and then bring naval infantry in and come at it, you know, from the beach. And that's when they sunk and, their ship. <laughs> yeah, and what happened is they the 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 approach from the land could not get close enough to the city, and they weren't going to commit the naval infantry if they hadn't done that, and so. That naval infantry was deployed in Mariupol. They would still like to take Odessa, but it seems uh, remote right now that with the ability to do that. However, they are blocking off Ukraine's access to the Black Sea because their ships are outside the range of uh, Ukraine's anti-ship missiles, but they're blocking any traffic that's, that would be coming into the port uh, for Ukraine. And Ukraine, you know, is a one of the world's largest exporters of grain and other materials and access to the sea of Azov and the Black Sea is critical for their economy. If Russia succeeds in, in cutting them off from the sea and making them a landlocked country, uh, that will be quite devastating to the Ukrainians. Any additional information on that ship that was sunk? Uh, I mean, it was, uh, uh, Russia's biggest uh, cruiser or something, and, and they, they said that all the sailors died. They said some of them were rescued. What was the final toll? And were there nuclear bombs? When no, no nuclear on that. Just conventional weapons. It's a missile ship, and they had used it on a limited scale to fire missiles into Ukraine. Most of the missiles that Ukraine is firing at various cities, and you see them taking down pieces parts of uh, apartment buildings and the like. Those are mostly cruise missiles, and they're being fired from air-launched aircraft. Uh, and that most of them just sit right outside the border of Ukraine so they don't have to deal with Ukraine's air defense so, systems. So, General, but not much from the sea. General, once again, it's Rudy Washington. Why haven't we provided stand, standoff weaponry uh, that the Ukrainians could use? And, you know, go after their oil supply or something like that. That would be the quickest way to <laughs> shut, shut off their money. Yeah. Uh, the the problem we had, we had anti-ship missiles that we have, harpoons, but they don't have the launchers for them. And there's some classified aspects of that I think that we didn't want to release. But we knew full well that they had uh, some anti-ship missiles uh, themselves, and the Brits have given them some anti-ship missiles as well. The uh, the one of the problems we had in the beginning for the first few weeks, we had what I would refer to as a push system for supplies. In other words, we were pushing them equipment and supplies we thought they needed. Now we've reverted to a, a pull system where they're making up the list and we're not giving them things we think they need. We're giving them things they want. And and we're doing much better at that now than what we were doing in the beginning. And, and but but John, look at when the Russians showed up on Ukraine's border in March of 2021. That was sixty-something uh, days into the Biden administration's tenure as president. That is when we should have began the emergency supply of, of weapons that we're now doing. They actually and stopped. That, they we, actually, we all we all agree. They stopped Donald Trump's uh, uh, supply that he had already authorized. They, delayed, they, they, right. they delayed that from March to the summer. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. They finally let it go. 
And then when they showed up at 150,000 in the fall of 21, and everybody knew they were dead serious for sure. This was after Afghanistan fiasco, which I think gave Putin the impetus and the incentive to really go ahead with the operation. We delayed another ship. And both of those shipments were delayed for the same reason. We didn't want to provoke Putin. So we went into this half-stepping at best. And now we're doing this emergency resupply to try to compensate with it. It, it, But it's pretty frustrating for the Ukrainians and what they've had to deal with here. General, we've got about two minutes left before we have to take a break. What else would you like to tell the American people? Well, this fight that's taking place here uh, for the Donbass is going to be pre- pretty significant. I mean, if the Ukrainians can stop them, uh, great. And then could they possibly counterattack and drive them out uh, of, of Ukraine, you know, wholly and completely? That remains to be seen. We would we would like to think so when we're giving them the equipment to help them do just that. Well, there so- definitely will be an opportunity. The second thing is, if Ukraine is not able to stop them and they give up some more territory, uh, I think we're going to wind up in a stalemate, which is what happened in 2014. And that we had the stalemate for eight years. That's still not a good situation for Ukraine. You got Russian troops, more of them in their territory, and they can they can rebuild and get ready and do something again in six months or a year from now. So Ukraine's got a tough situation in front of them. And we got to be all in with the NATO countries, giving them what they need as quickly as we can get it to them. Yeah, they got 75% of their army deployed now, the Russians. And right, uh, we right. could really set them back. I, I mean, if somebody wants to attack Russia from someplace else, <laughs> they have a problem. Uh, General... No. Thank you for everything you've done for our country and continue to speak out for our country. God bless you and God bless America. And we'll talk to you again real soon. All right, John. Thanks a lot. Take Thank care. You. Thank you. Uh, we're going to take a break. But before we take a break, uh, I just want to say that uh, uh, General uh, uh, Judge, uh, you just talked to Definitely. Ed Cox uh, on, uh, uh, on yeah, the redistricting case. The redistricting case. And tell us what he said. All right. Uh, There was an argument today before a five-judge panel of the appellate division of the Supreme Court in upstate on the redistricting. The lower court, Supreme Court decision, was against the Democratic partisan redistricting. They expect a decision by the court by by Friday. And depending on what happens on Friday, uh, it could very well go to the, uh, the Court of Appeals. What's at stake here is a fair and unbiased redistricting. The Supreme Court judge uh, assigned a special master to redraw the lines, take it away from the state legislature, and we'll see what happens. And there could be, depending on the decisions in the appellate division and court of appeals, there could be a delay in the primaries in June. Well, they said they made delay until August. Right now, they're scheduled to end of June, right. and they can so push them over to August. I told Ed Cox to come on tomorrow to Ed show and tell be there everybody tomorrow. what the heck is going on. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we have Congressman Tom Swazi calling in who's running for governor. Let's see what he has to say. Let's take that break first.
Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night Show, where you get all the truth and nothing but the truth. So help us, God. And we're talking now to Congressman Tom Swazi, who is running for New York governor. He's trying to bring New York back from the brink of no return. Welcome to Cats at Night, Congressman Swazi. Hey, thanks so much for having me on the show. Congressman, uh, you know, New Yorkers want to be safe, and Albany is one big mess. Uh, I've heard that uh, Mayor Adams wants New York safe. I heard that uh, uh, the governor wants New York safe. But we have the state Senate and the state assembly. They're telling everybody to pound sand. What would you do if you were governor? Well, first of all, I'm concerned about the governor and what she wants to happen. She gave away the store in this budget. She didn't fix the crime issue. She didn't get what she she wa- said she wanted on bail reform because she wanted to get the Buffalo Bills Stadium done. And she got that done, but she didn't get uh, bail reform done. Uh, I would hold the legislature account. I, if I win this race for governor, it could be on the issues of crime and taxes. And the legislature is going to have to wake up to that's what the people want. The people want us to reduce crime in New York City, make people feel safe. People are afraid to go on the subways. People are losing their businesses. People are moving out of town. We have the highest taxes in the United States of America as well. We have to stop giving away the store and address the fact that crime and taxes are major issues. Now, I'm a Democrat, I'm a lifelong Democrat. You don't hear Democrats talk about crime and taxes that much, but I've been talking to Democrats, regular people, and Democrats and I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you a lifelong Democrat here too. He was a speaker, uh, the counsel to the Speaker of alone, and uh, Judge uh, Weinberg. You're a lifelong Democrat. Are, are you mad as hell at what's going on? Absolutely. Hi, Congressman. How are you? I'm very. How you doing, Judge? I'm very upset about what's going on in Albany. You, they keep saying they want to look at the data, the data, data before they change the uh, the bail reform. The data is there every day in the newspapers, every day on radio and television. The bodies are piling up. People are being killed. People feel unsafe. You go into Penn Station, Grand Central broad, Port Authority. Broad daylight, it's not gang, safe. Broad daylight gang shootings. I mean, it looks like a, something out of a movie, Congressman Swazi. This should be a hair on fire issue, okay? We need to bring everybody together. If I was the governor of New York State, I'd bring in the mayor of New York City. I endorsed very early on. He asked me to be his deputy mayor. I'd bring in the mayors from the other major cities. I'd bring in the police commissioners. I'd bring in representatives of the judiciary. I'd bring in corrections and probation and parole. I'd bring in the mental health experts. I'd bring in the not-for-profits. I'd bring in the academics and say, listen, we need a, I bring in the legislators, the state legislative leaders, the committees of jurisdiction. I'd say, listen, we need a comprehensive plan to address crime for real because people are scared. Let's all pull together and develop a plan. And everybody would be in the room. I've done meetings like this when I was mayor and county executive and even in Congress. You bring everybody together. You debate it out in that room. It's not for the papers. It's not for the press. You fight it out amongst yourselves. And then you come out with a comprehensive plan and you sell it to the people. And you try and sell it to the legislature. And if they don't listen, you try and make a deal with the legislature. And if that doesn't work, you take them on in public. Well, con- oh, I wanted to ask Congressman Swazi real quick. John Katzmatidis, tell Congressman Swazi about your idea about Rikers. What the no, hospital? Rikers, the, uh, we, we wanted to put on Rikers Island. We wanted to put hospitals and take care uh, of the homeless and take care of the uh, mentally ill. Because those people, you know, the progressives that call themselves progressives, how progressive can they possibly be if they leave them on the streets of New York and not taking care of sick people? Tony Carbonetti, that, you were deputy uh, mayor, John, too, and chief, chief of staff. staff. That, that's a great idea. They should have a mental health facility and a drug treatment facility 
and they should be putting people there and taking care of those that need treatment rather than having them live on the street. But, Tom, I wanted to ask you a question as Tony Carbonetti. Um, If you were governor, what would you do with a district attorney like the one we have here in, in New York County that refuses to prosecute certain crimes? I said very clearly early on that if he refuses to prosecute resisting arrest or he refuses to prosecute uh, 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 armed robbery as a felony and only as a misdemeanor, then I would remove him. Now, he's since changed his position on that. So I'm open and I want to work with him. I want to try and get the job done. I've actually talked to him about this. Uh, I want to build a relationship with him. But I bring all the district attorneys in. I should have mentioned that earlier when I said this group meeting. I bring all the district attorneys in. You can't say I'm going to enforce this law in this in this uh, borough, but not in that borough. I mean, that's that's a cause for anarchy that says, hey, all the criminals go to Manhattan. You don't you can't go to Brooklyn or Queens because you get prosecuted there. But let's go to Manhattan and do the crimes. If you want to change the law, run for the state legislature. Don't run for district attorney. Your job is to enforce the law. Let me just go back to the Rikers question. I think we should rebuild Rikers. We should do exactly what John said and have a mental health facility there, a drug and alcohol facility there, a place for to learn job skills there as well. Uh, and this is a plan that's been proposed by Robert Holden on the city council who endorsed me the other day. And I've endorsed his plan to rebuild Rikers because it I'm, makes common sense. Tom, this is Rudy Washington. It is common sense. Thank we, you. we haven't talked in a while, but hey, um, how you doing? Look, All right, man. Uh, we, we know what works in this town. Uh, you know, Rudy pro proved the model. I, you know, I just think there's something else afoot here, you know, that's, that's not too clean. You know, I, I think there's another agenda because I just can't see people being this naive. I, I just don't buy it. You know, uh, if you don't lock people up, crime is not going to go up, please. I mean, this is just in your face type stuff. Uh, you know, I've been saying, you know, the same thing, open Rikers Island back up during our days. We had, uh, population of up to 19,000 people on the island, and it's down to 3,500 now, uh, you know, because nobody is sent to Rikers. Um, well, I, w- I went to Rikers to visit it, and, I mean, it's a disgrace. It I mean, disgrace. it's been ignored for, for for much too long. And it was deliberate. Listen, I think it was yes, deliberate. I agree Tom, with it you. It was really. deliberate. Well, listen, I ran a jail when I was Nassau County Executive. I also ran the 12th largest police department in the country, bigger than Detroit or Boston. In fact, our current New York City Police Commissioner came out of Nassau County, Keechan Sewall, uh, because she was promoted by our commissioner, uh, James Lawrence, who was a New York City right. chief. And, uh, and, I, and I, rec- I recommended James to you, if you remember. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I just talked to him the other day. He's doing well. Uh, let me just say very clearly that I've supported Eric Adams very early on because he said, listen, I don't want police abusing their jobs. And he's fought against police abuse for years. But he also said we have to support the cops. We have to support law enforcement. He was the perfect messenger. Now his efforts to address crime are being thwarted by the state state of New York, by the governor and the state legislature. This has got to be an all-hands-on-deck effort to support Mayor Adams and what he's doing to try and address the crime problems in New York City. I have a 15-point plan. It's got to be intervention and prevention. Intervention is the stuff we need to do right now to make people safe, like bail reform, like this precision policing, like the special squads you need to send out. We also need to do prevention, the long-term stuff, where we have to help kids in school to actually get a decent education. For these kids who get left behind their whole life, they can't possibly make it in life. We need to bring our social services into our schools. 50% of the people at Rikers Island have a learning disability. 75% of the people in any jail have a drug, alcohol, or mental health issue. We have to work on prevention. I, I'm, t- I'm stealing a quote from Eric Adams that he took from 
Bishop Desmond Tutu. We spent a lifetime pulling people out of the river. We need to go upstream and stop them from falling in the river in the first place. But we need a comprehensive plan. Intervention today and prevention is for the long term that takes into a comprehensive account. And mental health is a huge part of that. And we need to have a comprehensive mental health plan. We deinstitutionalized de- all these people back in the 70s. And now they're just, you know, uh, there's so many people on the streets that are not getting the help they need. Like uh, John said, you know, you're a progressive, but you're letting these people sleep on the streets. I mean, it doesn't make sense. We're allowing people to slowly commit suicide. You're not helping somebody by allowing them to get out of jail or not getting the services services they need or to languish on the streets. Tom Swazi, thank you for coming on. And we're going to have you on again soon because you're you're, you're speaking, you're, you're playing our music. And um, we want we we want New York City safe, and uh, that's it. No, uh, thanks for being a common sense Democrat, and uh, and uh, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to come back with another Democrat, uh, Judge Lipman, and uh, Judge Weinberg. You'll be talking with Judge Lipman too. And uh, let's take the break, and we'll be right back. You're commuting home. Cats at night. Now, here's John Katsimatidis on 77 WABC. Welcome back to the John Katsimatidis Cats at Night Show. We're trying to save America. We're trying to save New York. We were talking about Rikers Island. John, you also had another great idea saying that maybe we should build courts on Rikers Island so people don't languish while they're waiting for their court I, appearance or trial. I think that's trial. a great idea. And everybody I spoke to, uh, uh, deputy, former Deputy Mayor uh, uh, Rudy Washington and uh, Chief of Staff uh, Tony Carbonetti, uh, we talked about it. If you had courts on Rikers Island, then you can adjudicate people. Nobody, nobody wants to be unfair to people. We want to be fair. But uh, Judge Judge Weinberg, why don't you take back Judge Lipman? Jonathan, how are you, sir? Hi, Richard. How are you doing? I'm Hi, doing John. Good. How are you? Okay. Uh, all's well. So. This is the problem, Jonathan. Some of you nice people, including you as chairman of the commission, want to close down Rikers. As much as we love each other and known each other for for decades, you and I disagree on that. I believe it's a bad idea to close Rikers. I believe you should have mental health programs there, homeless programs there, give them physical health care, give job training there, have vertical integrated services. I'm against putting them into uh, into the communities. What say you, Jonathan? Well, you know, I think there's a consensus in New York City that Rikers is an abomination. It's an accelerator of human misery. You cannot build a new jail that has that same mass incarceration model on the island. It'll cost much more than it does to put smaller, uh, more economy of scale, more humane jails at the local level. And Rikers has to be closed forever, and I think the mayor has been a strong proponent of that. I have talked to him many times about this. I think he's right. Which mayor? I think we're right. Mayor Adams. Yeah, but I uh, understand uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office today said that the federal government might take over Rikers. Yeah, John, you're right. What he's saying is if the city administration doesn't come up with a, a clear plan, He's saying that they ought to consider that, putting in a receiver there. But I think that Commissioner Molina, uh, under the mayor's uh, leadership, is a reformer. And it's very much my hope that he'll be coming up with some clear plans that will satisfy the judge uh, at that hearing on the 26th. 
and uh, and will allow the the mayor, Mayor Adams, and the commissioner to do the kinds of reforms necessary, putting aside the issue of what comes up later with replacing Rikers and closing it. And certainly, I believe what nobody disputes, left, right, or in between, is that Rikers is a miserable place that's a violent uh, uh, disgrace for New York City and the soul of our city. And I think everyone understands that. And I think the mayor is committed to changing that. The commissioner is. So it is uh, Judge, my hope Judge, that everyone can join together. Judge, my uh, name is Rudy Washington. I've been, biting my, I've been biting my tongue here uh, listening to sure. this. Go ahead. We had up to 19,000 people on Rikers Island. We've been blessed to have an island where you could isolate all of these problems in one place. And if, the, and if we need mental health, we could put it there. If we need incarceration, we can put it there. We can put whatever we want there. Now, Judge uh, Weinberg will tell you very quickly, because he was involved, what it would take to cite a, a, a prison in Brooklyn, let's say. What would it take, Judge, to condemn okay. a property? How long would it take to condemn okay, it? The land use. And then after the lawsuits, how long would that take? And then the environmental impact study. We'll be way beyond that. The LULERP has been done. The land use has where? been done. Where? It's been all approved. Where? Rikers has been dezoned de- as, uh, as a jail uh, coming into so, okay. well, Judge, what This are we, is going what, to happen. What are we going to do with 19,000 what are we going to do with all of the people who are committing crimes? You want to build a thousand-bed facility? Have, we're going to combine a system that has both justice and public safety at the same time. So, and so I think people are going to change it, their behavior. And Mayor Adams is going to do it. People are going, to, people are going to change their behavior and become good citizens, and we won't need nineteen thousand beds anymore. No, 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 no. People who are violent who are going to hurt our citizens. We need to put them in and keep them in. Where do you People put them? People who are not violent and are not going to hurt anybody should be home with their families. And in oh, their so we jobs. just got to say locked Judge, up. Okay, uh, Tony Carbonetti. Judge, it's, it's Tony Carbonetti. So New York Tony, City. I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, New York Good. City spends over $2 billion a year on homeless services. We still can't figure out how to humanely treat them for drug abuse and mental health. And now we're going to start it's taking. A disgrace, Tony. It's, it's, it's a total a disgrace. disgrace. But why are we going to add to that now by putting these prisons into communities that are suffering from homelessness? We've we done take it the all first part of studies that show that these facilities will not hurt the neighborhood. In fact, oh will help the neighborhood. Look at downtown Brooklyn, where you have the jail there with the highest real estate values in the city over the last years, even with that jail there. So these are modern, uh, um, again, economy of scale, more humane jails. You're not putting uh, any kind of uh, danger into those local neighborhoods. We have the studies that show that. I think that's a mistake to believe that, an outmoded thinking. It's the model of mass incarceration. Are we going to start farming well, out the responsibility? Judgment that winds up providing a lack of security in our city and a lack of public safety. Rikers causes that. Judge Lipman, thank you now, for coming on. Uh, we're out of time, and we will continue, continue this conversation another day. Judge Weinberg, thank you for being here. Deputy Mayor uh, Rudy Washington, thank you. Chief.
Tony Club and Eddie, thank you for being you, here. I didn't and know jails caused crime, and my, I didn't know people wanted Lydia, to live in your jails. My, I mean, Lydia, my wow. side, we give everybody the courtesy. You know, our show is about courtesy and, and getting out whatever it is. Uh, and uh, Judge Lippman, thank you. This is uh, God bless New York because we need a blessing, and God bless America. Thank you.